0: Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to uh, the chapter of 1 Kings, or 1 Kings chapter 17. I'll get there in just a minute. And... I want to talk to you about why God uses the unlikely, why God uses the unlikely. You know, I I think we just all have a tendency to say that we could look at people and say, well, of course we can see why God would use that person because they have this kind of a strength. Of course, God could use that person to uh, accomplish something significant because we can look at in the natural maybe uh, what they have, what they possess. It could be their influence. It could be uh, intellect. It could be uh, wealth, Uh, whatever it is in the natural that we think makes someone a likely candidate to make a difference in our world. We just have to be aware that God does not look for what we look for. He really does most of the time. Matter of fact, I would say all the time, if you really study the trend of scripture is he goes and looks for the most unlikely. Just something about God that he likes to use the simple. I think it's because in the very end, he wants us to look at whoever he uses and say, there's no way that person could have done it on their own. I actually think God uses people like me to build your faith. Man, if God can do it in him, surely God can do it in me. Can I get an amen? You weren't supposed to be so robust with that amen, but that's okay. over 80 references you can find in your Bible to, to widows. They hold a special place in God's heart. So of course they would hold a special place in his word as well. God warns against misusing or afflicting the widow. He defends the widow. The Bible says the Bible says he becomes a husband to the widow. Me and Sarah years ago, we got to, she got to meet my great grandmother who is the greatest Christian I've ever known. And uh we went to her house. She was, you know, my great-grandfather had passed away. And we walk in and we ask her what she was doing, and she says, Well, I just woke up from a nap. Look at the curtains uh that we just got hung up on the wall, and and she's talking to us about the curtains, and we ask her, Well, well, grandma, I mean, she's, you know, 90 years old. How the, how, who hung the curtains? And she says, well, I, you know, your grandfather's not here no more. And the Bible says God's a husband to the widow. And so I just said, well, Jesus, I need the curtains hung. I'm going to go take a nap. When I get up, I want them hung. She says, I don't know. I got up and they were up. You're like, I don't believe that. Well, if you sat down with my great grandmother, I promise you, you would question whether or not you should question her. <laughs> She's just one of those people where you looked into her eyes and you knew she knew. First Timothy five and verse three says to honor the widows. Well, we would know that in Bible times that a widow, because of the loss of her husband and the loss of really the the one that would earn and provide for the family in most cases is gone, that the widow would find it almost impossible to survive without assistance and help from family members or, or those who were close to that widow. And so most references when it comes to the widow in the Bible are those of little means. These are people that have very, very little. They're themed as the underdog. They're themed as the unlikely. Yet God spotlights them as the most generous in the scripture. These are the unlikely that God chooses to use. And he provides this as an example of the highest standard of generosity in our life. This teaches us some things about God. One of them would be that sacrifice is offensive to many of us, but it's always been impressive to God. God sees at feet fit, excuse me, to place great demand on even those who seem to have little, because he's looking at the unlikely. We say, let the wealthy do it. Let the gifted do it. Let those with great abilities do it. Let those who have the things that we think that someone should have, let them do it because we know they can do the most. They can do the greatest. They, they can do the biggest The grandest, but God says, I'll use the widow to do the most, I'll use the widow to do the most significant because the fewest dollars to God is usually the greatest gift. You know, I think about it all the time. Why would God ask something of those who have so little? Why is God not more focused on putting pressure on those who have so much? God always did big things with the smallest gifts. And so first Kings chapter 17, we get to look at our first widow in scripture and we'll look at three of them together. Let's look at verse eight, verse eight. You guys doing okay? Say, uh-huh. First King, let's look at verse 11. I'm sorry. As she was going, speaking of the widow of Zarephath, as she was going to get what the prophet had asked, he said, bring me a piece of bread and verse 12. She said, "Assuredly, surely as your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, eat a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and die. And so Elijah says to her, do not be afraid. Go home, do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf of bread that you have and bring it to me and then make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends the rain. She went away, did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jars of flour were not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. So number one, number one, we learn that if you're going to be the unlikely, the first thing that we do is we have to find our gift. You have to look for it. Isn't that interesting that that it actually takes effort? It's it's not just going to come to you. You have to spend time looking It's there, it's somewhere in your life. I'm not the one that knows your situation. I'm not the one that knows the details, but I am sure that everybody in here has a gift. They have that which God has given them. And at some point, God looks at our life and He places a demand on us, and it's our responsibility to find the gift. God comes to Elijah, the brook had just ran dry. And he said, I want you to go to Zarephath and there you're going to find a widow. She's waiting for you. Now, this widow is in a desperate place. She's waiting to die. And first she's going to bury her son. And then she's going to die as well. She's in a tragic place. And I want you to go there and I want you to place a demand on that woman. Elijah goes, I don't know what he was doing along the way. I'm guessing he would be like me, arguing with God. Surely there's Mr. Big Bucks there. Surely there's Mr. Wealthy there. Surely there's uh, sure. Why would you want me to go place a demand on that? But yet Elijah goes, he obeys God. He asks for her for bread. And she says, I don't have bread. I don't have what you're asking And as a matter of fact, how dare you ask me for that? How dare you, in light of all that I'm up against and all that I'm facing, do you have any idea what it's like to not just face your death, but to look at the possible death of your son? I don't have any bread. He said, but what do you have? She's like, I've got some flour. I've got some oil. You know, and the point is, is sometimes we get all focused on that, which we don't have And we don't look at what we do have. I don't have this, but you have something. That's why I love when we start to get ready for things like heart for the house. Everybody focuses on the financial side, but God could care less about that. Did you know, did you know that the Bible says that the silver and the gold is God's? So if the silver and gold are God's, why doesn't he carry silver and gold with him in his pocket? Have you ever thought about that? That God never carries it around with them. If I was God and I owned all the silver and gold, I would carry some of it with me. You know, like when I need to do the miracle of feeding the 5,000, I would have what I needed, right? If I needed to pay my taxes instead of having to go fishing, I would just, you know, I would, you know send the disciples to go fishing, I would do something like that. But we would know, we would know that that's not how God does things. We would, we would, we would absolutely, in our minds say to ourselves, surely God has another way of doing it, but God always has the same way in which he purchases or he, he, his currency or his economy and the way that he uh, reaches people is different than the way that we think. So God doesn't carry the silver and gold in his pocket. He carries people in his pocket and he takes people that at one point in time in their life said, God, here I am. You can use me. If you could use anything, use me, Lord, I'm here, I'm, I'm your empty vessel. Fill me, God. Anybody in here ever been there? And then God starts using you. I got to be honest on my way here today, I was thinking about this thought right here. And this is what I said to God, God, I am very, very surprised at the lengths you have gone to, to make that prayer heard. Can we just stop it now? (laughs) Because you say, God, use me. He will spend you. And when you don't think there's nothing left for him to spend, he'll just spend on and on and on because he'll spend you to purchase them. That's how he does it. God carries people in his pocket that have said, God, you can use me. And he uses us. He spends us for others. I can prove it to you. Remember the Bible talks about this mighty man by the name of Stephen was, his life was being followed with signs and wonders and miracles and all these great things he was doing. And God was raising him up and he was preaching and revival was taking place. And the Bible says he's preaching in this particular city and, and they come and they drag him outside of the city. They give him a chance to quit preaching the gospel. He refuses. And so the Bible says they pick up stones and they're throwing these stones at Stephen to to murder him. And the Bible says there was a young man named Saul who was standing there holding the coats of those who were killing Stephen and Stephen cried out. In that moment, God, do not keep this. Do not charge this against them. Put it on my account. And as that moment is unfolding, Saul is there watching how God does it. God is spending Stephen to buy Saul who would later become Paul, the apostle, and write two-thirds of the New Testament. This is the most amazing thing about it, though. Stephen never got to see. All he got to see is Acts chapter 7. All he got to see was the moment that he was giving his very life. He didn't get to see chapter 9. He didn't get to see chapter 10. He didn't get to see chapter 12, where Paul was going to Macedonia, and he was going to Antioch, and he was going all over the world and preaching the gospel because Stephen was willing to be spent. What I'm simply saying is at some point we just have to say, okay, God, I know that you'll never ask me of anything that you've not already prepared everything I need to do it. God takes Abraham and he says, give me Isaac. I don't know. I couldn't do it. But somehow Abraham finds the ability to climb up, put his son on the altar And God, of course, because of his obedience is there as Jehovah Jireh, the provider, and he provided a sacrifice. David at Ziglag had nothing else. Everything had been taken from him. Everyone had turned on him, but yet he finds a way to dig down deep and find a way to encourage himself. The Bible says in the Lord, I'm simply here to encourage you to find your gift. I don't know what your gift looks like. That's between you and God. But what I do know is that you can find it. Maybe, maybe your gift is nothing, but man, I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to, I'm going to take us, but everybody can provide a gift. Number two, second Kings chapter four and verse one. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Anything I can do for you. What's your need? Tell me what is in your house. Your servant has nothing at all except a small jar of oil. But Elijah said to her, go around, ask your neighbors for their empty jars. Don't ask for just a few, but go in and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour all oil into all the jars and each was filled and put each one aside. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And while all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. Number two, what we see is you have to also find your reason. It's very difficult to give because of just giving. You have to find your why you have to find your reason. If you go to second Corinthians chapter eight and nine, Paul is talking to the church of Corinth and the Bible says that they were able to give the Bible says that they were extremely generous and it says that they gave out of their extreme poverty is what it says. Somehow they, they didn't just give out of their abundance, but they gave out of their poverty. And Paul begins to talk about how God's grace can come on you. And when God's grace comes on you, it doesn't enable you to give out of abundance. Grace is there to help you give out of lack. And all of us understand the power of God's grace when it comes into where we lack. Has anybody ever been here and said, I don't have what it takes but I am just gonna trust that the grace of God will help me do what I can't do here. Has anybody learned God's grace like that? That I don't know how to keep loving that prodigal child that's mean-spirited and harsh to us and ungrateful. I don't, I don't know how to do that, but yet you can trust that God's grace can be there in your lack. And somehow you keep loving that child when you don't really in your own heart. I mean, you love them, but you know what I mean? You're struggling. You're looking at that marriage and you're like, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. It's lack, but God's grace can be poured out in an extreme poverty. The Bible says he can enable you to give. And this is what the Bible says, how, how they did it. Paul said, this was not a command that was given to you, which isn't that good that God's not commanding you to do anything. Everybody needs to know that. Paul said that this moment wasn't a command, but that they were able to give out of their extreme poverty in light of Jesus becoming poor. It's speaking of Calvary, is what it was speaking of. He became poor so we we could become rich. You know what Paul was saying? is if we ever need a reason to give, all we have to do is look at the piercing love that Jesus poured out on Calvary for us. And when we consider the great sacrifice that he made, it gives us the reason, the reason that we need to say, okay, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? You have to find a reason in this story, the widow is there because. Of course, her husband has passed away. She's living in fear that the creditors, because her husband took out debt that he could not return, he could not pay back. It wasn't that he was a bad guy. The Bible says that he feared God. The Bible says that he was a good man, but yet he passes away. He can't pay back the debt. The system got the best of them. The creditor is coming. And the payment is going to be her kids are going to be taken from her and is going to have to work off her husband's debt. And so the prophet comes and he's trying to get her to see beyond the situation. He's trying to get her to see the future and see what God can do. He's trying to get her to get out of being caught up in this moment, in this difficult place. It's not her fault, but yet he's trying to help her get a vision for her future. And the Bible says, so he comes to her and he says this, number one, what do you want? What do you want? And this is where we love God. When God comes and says, what do you want? What do you need? Tell me what you need. Oh, God, I need this and I need this and I need this and I got to have this. And what about this? And I'm believing you for this and I'm praying about this and oh God, you know, I got this dream and I got, I got this, you know, vision board somewhere and this thing that I'm trying to believe all these things. But then the next question is where we struggle. Well, what do you have? We don't like that because here she says, I've got nothing. That's what she says to him. I have nothing. Well, if your attitude is, I have nothing, you get no miracle. So she has to get back to the point and be honest with herself and tell herself the truth. So she's like, well, okay, nothing was extreme. I got a little bit of oil. So here she is, she's looking at her family, she's looking at her sons, she's looking at the need, she's looking at what's going on, and she's stuck in the moment, she sees no way out. And so the prophet starts to teach her how you get out of a situation. Because with God, this is how it works. Zero times anything is zero, right? Zero times a million is what? Zero times a billion is what? I know we didn't go to math. We didn't come here to go to math class, but let's just zero times infinity is what? So God, God, no matter how great he is, he's infinite. But yet if we say I have nothing, it gives the infinite one nothing to work with. And so at some point, we just have to say, I have a little something. This is what I have. It's a little bit. And God, you know, the bigger need that I have, and there's something about giving God your little, and he makes much out of it. So she goes and she borrows vessels from her neighbors. Others were connected to this miracle. It wasn't just her doing it. It It's people coming together to see this miracle happen. And we have to remember only God knows only God knows how to pull everything together to accomplish his will. And he told her, once you get all these vessels, once you get them all together, I want you to shut the door and I'm going to show you how I do things, which is one of the things that we do every year for heart for the house is we encourage people. Hey, listen, the most important thing for you to do is go and shut the door. Matthew chapter six says, when you pray, go shut the door. And in private, what does the Bible say? It says that he'll reveal your reason. He'll reveal the why. He'll do it. I, as a preacher, I don't have the ability to do that. But if you'll shut the door, he'll begin to speak to you. And I, this is what I do every year. When Sarah and I come together and we start thinking about what we're going to do, I usually will assign that gift to a particular thing that I need. Now, you don't have to do that. I'm just telling you what I do. Because I look at it like, okay, God, I'm doing this. So those women that are in a difficult place can maybe have a chance to choose life for their child. I'm doing this because as women incarcerated, we can, all you got to do is talk to one person. That's a part of the team that's going and they'll start crying and weeping as they're watching the hearts of these women just completely moved in altars, weeping and crying and giving their lives. I, 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 I God, I'll do it. I'll do it to build campuses. I'll do it. God to, to help with addiction recovery. I will do it. We'll do it. The answer, the answer is yes. But can I take a second and talk to you about I'm struggling over here and I don't mind doing this, but God, I'm partnering with you and I'm asking you to do a miracle in my family, in my home, or in this situation, or in my finances. And you assign, you attach something to what you're doing for God. You go into private, let him give you the reason why. Number three is found in Luke chapter 21. And this is my favorite one. Let's look at verse one. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor woman put in two very small copper coins. Verse three. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor woman has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Man. So I don't watch but Jesus watches what we do. And I think the third thing we need to look at is we need to remember whatever we do, whatever reason we find, whatever motive we have, just remember in the end that God takes note of what we give, that God is taking note, not of those who give out of their abundance, but he's taking note of those who give out of their lap. Now you say, but I have, I have, I'm a person of much. Am I disqualified? Oh, of course not. But think about what Jesus says here. He doesn't say here. This widow woman is she gives two pennies is, and she gave more than the person who gave the largest amount. That's not what it says. It says you can take all of the treasure and the wealth that everybody bought, add it up, add it up, and take this woman's two pennies, and she has outgiven all of them because God doesn't need all of it. He just needs a little, just a little obedience just a little prayer. God use me. That's it's, we make it so hard, don't we? We make it so hard. Surely this doesn't make a difference. Surely this doesn't matter. Surely being in the parking lot, isn't that big of a deal. Surely being back in the nursery, isn't that huge of a deal. Surely it's not making that much of a difference because surely these people that we think could make the difference, but seven Hills was never built that way. And it never will be. We are who we are because God has chosen to use the unlikely and it surprised a lot of people. I'd have it no other way cuz to God be all the glory. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv/ DBPM. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church podcast.